You're listening to the Beauty Brain Show, where real scientists answer your beauty questions. And now, here's Randy and Perry. Hello and welcome to the Beauty Brains. I'm cosmetic chemist and beauty brand mogul, Perry Romanowski. And with me, as always, my brainy partner and member of the Association of Science Writers, Randy Schuler. How's it going, Randy? The, the mogul part, is that a reference to WeFeek or Feek Me or whatever your new brand is yeah, called? That, uh, yeah, that beauty brand that I launched, uh, Feek, you know. Uh, right now it's just hair care, so. Oh, <laughs> Oh, so stay tuned for the skincare launch. Good God. All right. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Um, inc- incidentally, I just heard on my uh, headphones that the battery's low, so <laughs> I'm going to have to switch to regular. We're off to a fantastic start, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> All right. Uh, so this is episode number 162, and on today's show, Graham, you'll learn about whether diaper rash cream can be used as a sunscreen, if facial massage is good for stopping wrinkles, and if there is a new plant extract that can boost your collagen production. Fascinating stuff you're not going to want to miss. And best of all, all the questions today are audio questions. But first, how about some of that inane (laughs) chit-chat we're so famous for, Andy? You got anything uh, interesting to talk about? Nope. Uh, (laughs) As per the (laughs) usual. Well, I could tell you something that I did. Oh, okay. I, uh... Yeah, I just uh, did a road trip uh, from Chicago to the beaches of Delaware. Oh. Yeah, a place called Rehoboth. And this is beauty science related how? I'm going to tell you how. (laughs) So, while I was at the beach, something happened to me that has never happened to me before. Oh. I I got a sunburn on the top of my head. Okay. Now, 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 when I go to the beach, like... I don't really like the sun much, sure. so, so I'm that guy sitting with the the shirt on, the 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 towel over the legs, sure. I, and then all the sunscreen. Yeah, I usually wear a shirt and tie at the beach, so I know exactly what you're saying. <laughs> exactly, but uh, this time I and this time I went running on the beach, and I wore a visor, um, and so while I was running, I ran like 40 minutes up and down the beach. And I came back, and my head hurt. And so <laughs> I got this sunburn on the top of my head, which I figured just my hair usually protects that, right? At a certain age, that becomes problematic. <laughs> Apparently, I'm getting to that age. <laughs> so so I, I either have to spray that uh, sunscreen in my hair. Sure. What do you think? Did that, do you think that would work, the, the sprayable sunscreen Spraying it into your hair? Well, if you put enough on where you coated your scalp, it, it would, sure. Right. But you have to do enough. You yeah. could just but... wear a hat. Yeah, that's my new strategy. No, <laughs> wow. no more visors. I'll start wearing a hat. So, just a little beauty tip out there uh, be careful about getting the burn on the top of your head. All right, uh, Randy, we uh, got a couple of science news stories to talk about before we get into those questions. Why don't you start with the first one? Yeah, I wanted to uh, give a quick mention of an article that I saw on Global Cosmetic News about uh, Johnson & Johnson speaking out on natural products. First of all, I just loved the title of the article, which was, J&J Calls Parents Bluff Over Natural Baby Products. Did you, did you see this one? <laughs> I did see this one, yeah, and it was good to see a company coming out and calling out bullshit. Yeah, exactly. So let me quote the article. 
This is from uh, David Mays, who's the senior director, uh, senior director at J&J. But he said, while many parents want all natural products for their baby, natural organic isn't always what's safest for babies. Uh, the debate over naturals and chemicals has been oversimplified, where many consumers now believe that the more natural something is, the better and safer it is. It's just not that simple. And in fact, that oversimplification is doing a great disservice to consumers. So that is a refreshing point of view to see put forward. And it's not, you know, that much different than what we've been saying all along. Um, if, I, if I had to condense this down, the most important takeaway is, is this quote from the article, which is, being natural is never more important than being safe. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more there. Actually, I had a debate with uh, a company once over Twitter because they had a, they had a recall of their sunscreen product, right? Mm. It was baby sunscreen. And they're one of these natural brands. Right. <laughs> and I pointed out to them, like, their their marketing is more important than their product safety because – if they really cared about safety, they would use a proper preservative. Exactly. So that is that is the problem with some of these natural brands. And, you know, it is a little surprising to hear this coming from Johnson & Johnson, however, um, after they just capitulated to um, some of the uh, the NGOs about right. uh, reformulating their baby pr- uh, shampoo yeah. product. M- maybe this is them clawing their way back. I don't know. <laughs> I guess. Well, it's good to see. and But I can understand from a... Uh, a marketing and selling standpoint, it's a tough position to take because that that meme out there is is or yeah that meme is out there that natural yeah, products are safer even though it's not true. Quite pervasive. Well, I saw an interesting story about uh, technological development in uh, beauty products. Hmm. Um, this was published in uh, Cosmetic uh, Cosmetic Business, and they talk about uh, scientists have discovered this compound that they found that activates a pigmentation pathway in human skin, which creates significant darkening after eight days of application. Hmm. So we're talking about a, a product, a topical product that can uh, give you a suntan without any UV exposure. Wow. Yeah. Now the technology already exists. There's a you know there's a technology called DHA, sure. dihydroxyacetone. And that ingredient, when you put it on your skin, what happens is that there's a chemical reaction called the Molly-Eye reaction. We've probably talked about this in previous shows. Indeed we have. <laughs> but it'll react with the surface proteins of your skin and turn it brown or right. it's, orange. It's a depending. stain. It's, it's not uh, causing a natural pigmentation of the skin. It's just creating a stain. Right, but these researchers at uh, Massachusetts General Hospital and the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute uh, reported in um, the June 13th issue of Cell Reports uh, about, first they, they discovered the molecular pathways involved when skin becomes tan, and now they discovered this ingredient that can stimulate that reaction. Now, of course, <clears throat> this... Uh, Technology is a long way off because they've got to do lots of testings for it to be uh, to have cosmetic applications. And indeed, if if this actually did work, uh, it wouldn't be a cosmetic. This would have to be at least an over-the-counter drug. One would probably think. start out as a drug. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but it's interesting. It's interesting to see some. Uh, to actual technological development in this area. So if this provides a natural skin tan, that then, you know, that melanin would protect your skin from UV rays to some extent, 
Do they think that someday this will replace hats? <laughs> that is a good question. It wasn't. It wasn't mentioned in the oh, article, okay. but I'll, I'll have to follow yeah, up. In I, li- a I like to dig so. deep in these stories. <laughs> you do indeed. <laughs> All right, Randy, how about we get on to some of those questions? And today, a real treat for the listeners, uh, voices that are not just yours and mine. (laughs) All the questions today are audio questions. (laughs) Well, here's the first one. It comes to us from Mari. Hi, Beauty Brains. Today, a customer came into the retail pharmacy where I work and demanded that we sell him a zinc oxide diaper rash paste so that he could use it as sunscreen. I tried to steer him in the direction of actual sunscreens with listed SPFs, but he was not to be dissuaded and ended up leaving with a tube of generic diaper rash cream with no listed SPF in hand. His rationale was that diaper rash paste has a higher percentage of zinc oxide than zinc oxide sunscreens. Although this is sometimes true depending on the brand, my concern is that A, the formulation of a diaper rash paste might not make it an effective sunscreen, and B, without a listed SPF, there's no way to really know. What are your thoughts on this? Thank you. This this was kind of amusing, That's the way she phrased this, that the guy came into the pharmacy demanding that they sell him... What is yeah, an over-the-counter uh, product? I mean, it's it's not like this product is like cigarettes behind the <laughs> counter, and you have to have show an ID. Or right, whatever. right. It's not like uh, what's the antihistamine or Sudafed or something that you can only right, get. Right. From, no, you just walk up and pick it up off the shelf. What is the big deal? <laughs> Very strange. Uh, and you know, you have to. You have to demand it. It's like, hey, can I get that? Yeah, I just very, very odd. But anyway. Very strange. Um, but it is an interesting question. It, it is. And, you know, we've talked quite a bit about sunscreens on the show before, but I believe this is the first time that diaper rash products have come up. So I, I think a, a, a little quick background discussion is in order. Yeah. First, let's talk about the, the causes of diaper rash. Now, we used to think that urine was the primary cause. And that makes sense since, you know, a baby, especially up to two months, can urinate up to 20 times a day. And, <laughs> well, that's, that's only three more times a day than I go. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. <laughs> but the, the hypothesis that it was urine, the, uh, the hypothesis is that urine releases ammonia, which raises the pH of the skin, mm. which then opens it up to damage. But it turns out urine is not the primary cause. It's, drum roll... <laughs> Feces. Yes. I think that's the first time feces has ever received a drum roll. So, yeah, feces are, or feces is, is feces plural or singular? I don't even know. Anyway, anyway, the pH of feces is acidic, and that's that's due to bile, for those of you keeping score at home. So more recent studies have now shown that diaper rash is more prominent in areas where the feces contact the skin. And this contact can lead to yeast and bacterial infection. So... Mark your calendars that today was the day that the whole urine diaper rash myth was busted. <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us back to diaper rash creams. In case you didn't know, both sunscreen and diaper creams are over-the-counter drugs, and they're regulated by the FDA here in the United States. Yeah. You know, sunscreens are well one type of drug. They're just sunscreens. But diaper rash creams are not one not two, not even three, but they're actually four different types of drugs, or they fall into wow. four different drug categories. I'll name them for you now. They are external analgesics, topical antifungals, topical antimicrobials, and skin protectants. Wow. That's a, a lot of work to do for a single product. <laughs> huh? Now, in addition to the zinc oxide, which we've mentioned, 
Uh, other approved diaper rash ingredients include mineral oil, petrolatum, cornstarch, allantoin, uh, calamine, dimethicone, kaolin clay, and cod liver oil. Yeah, so you'll see some combination of those used in just about every uh, diaper rash product on the market here. So, but what does the zinc oxide do? How does it help with diaper rash? It actually works three ways. First of all, it helps waterproof or, or feces-proof like the skin, I guess. It's a mild astringent, which means it can cause contraction of body tissues. And when your skin mm -hmm. gets wet, it swells up. So this, this helps control that. And then thirdly, it has some antimicrobial properties. So that's, you know, that combination makes it suitable for use in those four drug product categories we just talked about. So the zinc oxide is an approved drug ingredient that is used in both products. So this is probably why the guy was demanding the product in the right. first you, place. Yeah, you sort of see where it comes from. But, you know, that just because the same ingredient is in both products, does that mean you could just use them interchangeably? You know, can you use that diaper cream as a sunscreen um, or, or can't you? <laughs> and, and conversely, can you use sunscreen as diaper rash? <laughs> you know, like in a pinch or something? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, let's begin by answering the fundamental question. Is the zinc oxide used in diaper creams the same zinc oxide used in sunscreens? Well, in classic Beauty Brains fashion, the answer is sort of yes and no. Uh, you, you scientists are always so definitive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I actually called a, a company, one of the biggest manufacturers of zinc oxide here in the States, and, and got some information from them. And, and chemically, the grades are uh, identical, or essentially identical. Um, you know, for both uh, sunscreens and diaper rash creams, uh, you're required to use a USP grade. You want to tell the listeners what USP stands for? Uh, United Standard Possibilities? <laughs> <laughs> Remind me not to just throw things to you without checking first. No, it stands for uh, United States Pharmacopeia. Gotcha. Good Lord. Uh, so anyway, so all that means is if it's USP grade, that it has to meet certain purity requirements. So both for sunscreens and diaper rash creams, you have to use a certain purity of zinc oxide. Yeah, it's the pharmaceutical grade. There you go. Thank you. By the way, did you know that being a natural product, zinc oxide can contain somewhere between 1 and 10 parts per million of lead? Yeah, you can read all about it in our latest book, It's Okay to Have Lead in Your Diaper Rash Cream. <laughs> Hey, here's, wait, wait. That's <laughs> here's, a, here's a quick aside about lead. I just read this. So, you know, cosmetics are not a major source of lead poisoning, despite what, you know, fear-mongering would lead you to believe. But do you know what is? Um, house paint? Getting shot. Oh. So, according to a <laughs> really? report from the CDC, and I quote, bullet fragments that remain lodged in the body can be an important cause of lead poisoning. Wow. So look for our next book, It's Not Okay to Have Lead Bullet Fragments in Your Body. <laughs> Incidentally, do we still have any uh, copies of that book, It's Okay to Have Lead in Your Lipstick? My garage is almost full of those, so yes, please order the book today. <laughs> All right. All right, back to the question. Now, the, the zinc oxide might be the same, but physically there are some differences. Yeah. Zinc oxide powders are sold with different particle sizes, and the size of the particle actually impacts how well the zinc uh, screens out UV rays. Uh, it's even more complicated than that because it's not just the size of the particles, but these particles tend to stick together to form these clumps or aggregates, which affect how well the zinc oxide scatters the UV rays. Yep. 
And in addition to different particle sizes, zinc oxide is commercially available in different varieties. Like there's a surface coated variety or, or right. different types of surface coatings. Uh, and then you can also buy it in dispersions where it's mixed in with different materials like natural oils or silicone fluids. Right. So sunscreens have to use the version of zinc oxide that's designed to best scatter the UV rays, right. okay? So they need that specific grade. And sunscreens are tested to ensure that, in fact, they do uh, they do block UV rays. Right. But diaper rash creams, they don't have to use any of these types of forms, uh, or that specific type of form. They can use any of them. Um, and so they may or may not, there's really no way to know what form of the zinc oxide they're using. And, you know, the manufacturers also don't test these products for their ability right. to protect from UV. So that's the first issue. Yeah, so the it, it, you can use this sort of agglomerated form where the particles are clumped together in a diaper rash cream and it wouldn't affect how it performs. It doesn't affect that waterproofing ability. Uh, but if you use that in a sunscreen, it would be a problem because the particles wouldn't be spread evenly enough and in a small enough size to properly scatter UV rays. So there is a difference physically. And as you said, that was the first issue. So, But there's more. <laughs> Here's the second issue. Even if a diaper rash cream uses the exact same grade as a sunscreen, the way the diaper rash cream is formulated can impact the level of UV protection it provides. Yeah, the medium in which the zinc is dispersed can really determine the final opacity of the product. So in other words, the oils, waxes, and other ingredients used in the diaper creams can make the final formula more transparent, in which case it won't filter out as much UV radiation. Right. Again, it's your intention in formulating. If you're trying to make a sunscreen, you're going to avoid the materials that would increase transparency. You don't care about that if, you know, in exactly. the diaper range. All right. And then there's issue number three. Um, it's the way the product is processed makes a difference uh, as well. So for sunscreens, there's specific dispersion technology that can be used to make sure that all those um, particle agglomerates are broken up. There are special mixers and sp special devices you can use to add the powder exactly. in to make sure those agglomerates are finely dispersed. But making the diaper rash products, they won't necessarily require that same kind of dispersion technology, so it's just not gonna work the same. Yeah, you need to make sure the powder is dispersed well enough in the cream or lotion to be stable, but that's it, you don't care about anything else. It, again, sunscreens have uh, more stricter requirements in that sense. So, all right, so what does all this mean? Well, if a diaper rash cream contains the right kind of zinc oxide, and if, it's used at the correct concentration, and if it's properly processed, and if the final formula doesn't contain any ingredients that can compromise the UV scattering properties of the zinc oxide, then you probably could use a diaper cream as a sunscreen. <laughs> but, of course, the only way to know for sure is to conduct an SPF testing, and it's doubtful that any company is going to do that, uh, because even if it works, they can't use that data to promote the product. Right. Now, you might ask, why not? And that is because the FDA drug monographs, uh, I mean, the product is an FDA drug monograph, right. and they don't allow for combining those claims. Right. So these, these monographs that we speak of not only tell you what ingredients you can use, but they tell you what you can say about the product. They, they tell you what claims are allowed. And in some cases, there are um, claims across different drug categories, but that's not the case for sunscreens and diaper rash creams. So even if you formulated you know, some baby butt protecting formula that was great for diaper rash and you tested it and you proved it was a sunscreen, it would be illegal for you to claim that in that product. 
Right. All right. So, uh, you know, you know, even just play the game for a second. Even if if all these ifs were true, you know, I'm still not sure I'd want to use a diaper rash cream instead of a sunscreen because aesthetically, this is kind of a train wreck. You know, a, a diaper rash's uh, cream's primary purpose is to create that hydrophobic barrier. So they use, you know, high concentrations of, you know, very waterphobic materials like, you know, petrolatum. I mean, that's great when you're rubbing it on a baby's butt, but that's not going to be very pleasant to smear it all over your face and body. Uh, also, the, the, the diaper rash creams are very hard to remove. So again, it's just the, the aesthetics are different. Um, you know, you're spreading it across a, a pretty small area in the case of a baby's butt, not the case if you're using it as a sunscreen, you know, all over your body. Um, so anyway, the point is that it, the sunscreens are going to have a different spreadability. You know, this does occur to me. So how about this for a new product idea? Using the the diaper rash cream as a hair putty. <laughs> Would have protected my head. Uh, yeah, right, exactly. So, yes, now, now hat free. <laughs> of course, I couldn't get it out of my hair. But <laughs> Good point. Uh, so now is there any reason why you'd really – you know, want to do this? So is there a reason why you'd want to use baby rash protector as a sunscreen? Right. And I'm guessing the only thing that I guess is maybe you could be motivated by cost. Yeah. Because depending on the brand, diaper rash creams can, they can't be cheaper than sunscreens. For example, uh, Desitin costs about $1.75 an ounce, while a zinc oxide-only sunscreen like Badger costs about $4.70 an ounce. Yeah, and of course, you know, that's going to vary if you're talking, you know, there aren't many zinc oxide only sunscreens because typically, you know, you'll see zinc oxide combined with something else like titanium dioxide. Supposedly that gives it a little broader coverage. Um, but there are zinc only products on the market. So if, if that's what you like to use and you, you, you can, you know, think you're saving a few bucks by buying the Desident version, you may be sacrificing some quality because of those three issues we just talked yeah. about. So. So I guess the bottom line here is that the amount of money that you might save from doing this is just not worth the risk of compromised UV protection or the sacrifice of the aesthetic. But if anyone out there in Beauty Brains land tries this, uh, why don't you report back and let us know how it goes? Well, you, just, you just encourage people to do something which no, is no, highly I'm dangerous. <laughs> Wait, we didn't come out. Did it come across like this is highly dangerous? Yeah, we, I would say moderately it, dangerous. it might not work. It, yeah, it's, it's well, not a good idea. Wait, 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 it might wait, not wait, work. wait, wait, wait. There's some implied danger here. You're putting this on to protect yourself from getting a, you know, sun exposure, which is going to give sunburn, cancer, wrinkles, and of course, so that's lots of reasons. So there's the danger. Yeah, I demand an apology. <laughs> apology given. <laughs> All right. How about we apologize by going on to the next question? All right. Our next question comes to us from Mark. Hi, Beauty Brains. My name's Mark, and I'm from Toronto. I have a question about facial massage. I know that facial yoga is a little bit of a hoax, but intuitively, facial massage seems like it would work because you're massaging your face and relaxing the muscles so they don't get stuck in a position and create wrinkles. But at the same time, I have a suspicion that it's just something estheticians say and add to their facials to make facials seem like they're worth the money. So if you can answer that question and see if it's scientifically proven, that would be great. Thanks so much. Thank you, Mark. Uh, we've touched on this before, way back in episode 14, as a matter of fact. Uh, oh. We answered a question about uh, facial yoga being good for wrinkles. So you go back and listen to that now for a full recap. 
No, I mean, go right now. We'll wait. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, you were talking to the audience? I thought you meant me. Though. Well, <laughs> knowing how well you listen to our episodes, it probably wouldn't hurt for you to have a refresher as well. It is possible. Uh, okay, let's get let's get to this. The the basic idea of this is that plumping up your muscles by exercising them will get rid of wrinkles. Mm. And massage is essentially another way to stimulate your facial muscles. Yeah, but as we pointed out at the time, muscle laxity is not the cause of wrinkles. It's, rather, it's the collapse of the structural elements in the skin, like collagen and elastin. So, okay, so if we've covered this before, why are we bringing it up again? Because it gives us an excuse to talk about this CNN story about using electrical stimulation to get rid of wrinkles. <laughs> yeah, right. CNN recently reported Electrostim for skin, and they quoted uh, renowned skin expert <laughs> Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> I loved her work in Friends. <laughs> and she said, it's a little like a workout for your face. And an esthetician they interviewed said that the more times you have the procedure, the more results that you're going to see. <laughs> yeah, so you get a bunch of these treatments. Depending on where you have it done, these things cost between $206 a pop. Two, $200 and $600 a pop, so they're rather expensive. Whoa. Yeah. However, the consensus of the medical experts that they talked to is that there is no data demonstrating its effectiveness. I did find a couple of papers on the subject. One study tested six women. <laughs> Another evaluated 108 women and did show that the procedure resulted in some difference in facial muscle thickness. Yeah, but and I, I read that study as well. So it was a little more robust with 108. But um, first of all, they're, they're not comparing it to anything. So it, it, it seems like it had some minor effect. But how would that work compared to, let's say, you know, a more conventional treatment like a retinol cream? You know, I, there's no context there. So, and and here's the killer for me. In that study, it required treatment for 20 minutes a day, five days a week for 12 weeks. That would oh, that doesn't seem so bad. Well, that would cost you between twelve thousand and thirty-six thousand dollars. So oh. who's who's going to spend that kind of money for such a small benefit? I'll tell you who: Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> Actually, she probably gets the treatments for free. <laughs> now, as always, the important takeaway is that you have to think critically when you hear about treatments like this. And not everyone thinks that way, right? Yeah. I, in fact, I posted this on Facebook, and, and one commenter said, and I quote here, um, referring to uh, Mr. Knott was the person who wrote, who wrote the article, was quoted in that article, rather. And, and this commenter on our Facebook post said, clearly Mr. Knott needs to experience microcurrent himself. Because regardless of data, it most certainly does produce results, and it is so much more than a feel-good skincare modality. It seems like he is trying to discredit skincare therapists. So I, not that I do much on Facebook, but I had to respond to that one, and I said, well, uh, it may be nice for Mr. Not to experience the treatment, but that doesn't prove or disprove that it really works. That's what data is for. And in this case, there doesn't seem to be sufficient data to prove that the treatment really works. And of course, if you, dear reader, are familiar with any evidence, we'd love to see it and share it, because all it takes to change our mind about something is the data. Well, you know, I think you're poo-pooing it because there, I think you're, there really are some results here. And the main results is that your wallet and bank <laughs> account get lighter, yeah, right? Thinner, yeah. <laughs> Wallet exactly. reduction process. Okay, so anyway, no, I, I, Mark, don't really mess with the facial massage. It's not going to do much for you. Nah, nah. 
All right. Before we get on to our last question, why don't we uh, do some of those uh, iTunes reviews? We love getting iTunes reviews, and uh, we it appreciate I, we appreciate it. It helps uh, people find the show. So if you are inclined, please give us a review on iTunes, and we might read it here on the show. And that's what we're going to do right now. So we've got a couple. Here's one from Ouija, who says, Your showgrams are fun, educational, and a much-needed public service. Put me down for a yes on the banter. <laughs> All right. Tornado Girl 1981 from Germany says, So useful. Should be on a list for everyone who spends money on skincare. In addition to substance, the form of delivery makes you laugh out loud, so beware when listening to the beauty brains in public places. <laughs> it, oh. We need that as a warning statement, I think, on, on the podcast. Uh, Tabella says, Just when I thought I knew it all, love sharing your factoids with my clueless friends. <laughs> Rose from Australia Great to learn more about beauty products and how they work. And Sasha, why is my name not available, says, Great podcast for the closeted cosmetic junkie or junkie to be. Five stars. And finally, Toga Hair Girl. I absolutely love listening to these cos... Cosmonauts. Cos... Cos... Cosmonauts? I love that. I don't know what that is, but I love it. Yeah. I would love to be in your industry, so listening to your podcasting is fascinating. Excellent. Well, thank you guys very much. And again, go uh, go to iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast and review us. It really, uh, really helps us out. All right, Perry, we got time for one more question, and this one comes to us from Anna. Hi, Perry. Hi, Randy. We love the Beauty Brains podcast here in Portugal, and I finally have a question to ask. Um, I recently read about a plant called bulbin frutescens or something. I'll write down the name. And that plant is kind of similar to aloe vera. And the juice of that plant is said to stimulate collagen production. Have you heard about it? Do you think it would be a good thing to use on the skin? At least for the anti-aging properties. Thank you and goodbye. Hey, Anna, it's, it's always nice to hear from our international fans. I, yours may be the first question we've ever had from Portugal. I'm, I'm not sure. Bulbine frutensens is... Just call it BF. <laughs> just, we're never going to get through this if we have to pronounce that you know, every time. You know, every time there's a tough word, you throw it into my... <laughs> you, you make me do it. Why is it every time on this show? All right. Well, this BF material is similar to aloe in that they both are used in the treatment of skin wounds and burns. We found a study showing that leaf gel extracts can actually increase collagen deposition in wound healings on pig skin. Yeah, I I won't go into details on how the testing was done, but uh, unfortunately I can't say that no pigs were harmed during the course of the study. (laughs) Oh, oh. Well, but even if there is some data, before you get too excited, consider two of the Kligman questions. Remember what those are, Randy? Well, the, you? quick refresher, uh, the Kligman questions are what we use to determine if any, in particular, anti-aging product works. And those questions are, is there a, a mechanism to explain how it could work? Is there proof that it penetrates where it needs to go to be able to work? And is there data showing it works on real people? Right, and in this case, they're applying the BF leaf extract directly to a wound. So the extract doesn't need to penetrate, and the mechanism of wound healing is not the same as the production of normal collagen that keeps your skin looking smooth and healthy. Yeah, just because something helps in wound healing, and according to at least one study, doesn't mean it's going to have the same effect or even a similar effect when just applied topically to normally healthy, normal healthy skin. 
And in fact, we couldn't find anything to suggest that this material has anti-aging properties when applied that way. Yeah, so if it is similar to aloe, it may have some moisturizing properties, and it may be good for maybe a sunburn, but don't expect it to fix the kind of collagen loss that you experience as you age. It's not likely going to help much with wrinkles. But could it replace hats? <laughs> hey, I'm not going to try well, it, but I, if somebody out there in beauty brains land... <laughs> I just don't understand. You ha you're wearing a visor, which is already like a topless hat. Why wouldn't you have just worn a regular hat and be done with it? Because I was on a trip, and I, for, I I went running the day before in my regular hat, and I just had the visor. All right, fine. Sometimes I like the visor. Oh, We're, God. Are, are you okay? <laughs> I'm good. I just hurt my back yesterday. You, you hurt your back podcasting? God, what kind of wimp are you? <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes I like the visor because my hair will puff out of it. Uh, <laughs> it's, like, it's a good look for That's me. That's a good look. Where is Mrs. Romanowski where all this is going on? Uh <laughs> just just sitting back mocking me. Uh, all right, Perry, I'm sorry. We'd love to talk more about your injuries, but we're out of time. <laughs> Thank God. Well, if you have questions for us, feel free to contact us at thebeautybrains at gmail.com. And actually, if you record it and just email the recording to us, you can get your voice on our show. Yeah, and you can also reach us through Facebook. You can tweet at us. If you leave a question in an iTunes review, that's another way to get our attention. Uh, we're, we're pretty flexible. Yeah, yeah. So, until next time... Remember, wear a hat when you're running. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and be brainy about your beauty. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Something like that, right? <laughs>